bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Corinne Nidja podcast where each week I share vegan health transformation stories from ordinary people who have done the extraordinary and reversed their chronic diseases after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. Last week was part one of a food addiction two-part series that I've made just while I'm away, sunning myself in sunny Noosa in Queensland. And this week is part two. I uh, Last week I spoke about the pleasure trap, my own little journey with food addiction. By little, I mean it's still going. I think, honestly, like drug addiction or alcohol addiction, now I know it doesn't have the same type of devastating impacts on families and lives that we associate with alcohol and drug addiction. But food addiction, when it leads to obesity and chronic disease, it still does have a pretty devastating impact on lives and on lives and families, even though we minimise it and it's just such a normal part of society, which I do think alcohol is also one of those normal parts of society that is abnormal, like that we think it's totally fine to celebrate turning 18 and beginning drinking a known <laughs> poison regularly to help us relax and be more jovial with our friends and relieve stress and all of those things. It's such a strange thing that we think is totally fine when we know the damage it can do to organs, to mental health, to families. I worked in child protection for a little while and, you know, after every time there was a football match or a Christmas or Boxing Day or New Year's Day, any public holiday where people would be celebrating and drinking the one common thread that led to all of the family violence was alcohol every single time. People would be celebrating, they'd drink too much, and then they would hurt their family members in front of their children. And I've just over the years formed such a dislike for it. I just think that something that's so bad for our health and so bad for humans as a society, like we, we're very rarely our best when we're drunk, much to everyone's, the mainstream culture's refusal to admit we're not our best when we are inebriated. And I just find it such an odd thing that it's such a socially acceptable pastime. And food addiction, I think, is a bit like that insofar as most, many people who are overweight or obese would and even not obese people, would fall into a category of food addiction if they, you know, they they can't resist the plate of lollies at the, in the, on the staff room table, if they can't resist the chocolate cake, if they can't resist the chocolate late at night, if they can't resist the chips, the hot chips, the bread basket. If you can't resist something, if you have to have it, if you need to have it regularly, it's an addiction. And even though we're so indoctrinated to be addicted to processed foods, fats, meat, eggs, dairy, doesn't make it best for our health or best for our weight loss or best for our mental health because pretty much every woman that you meet has some kind of body image problem, has an issue with her weight, has an issue with her size and, and that issue spills out into our families, you know, weigh, constant weighing of yourself. You know, I have been an addicted, obsessive weigher of myself for all of my life. I've thrown out like countless pairs of scales because I've got to the point where I hate myself for weighing myself. I have, oh my gosh, the amount of ears that I have bended talking about the next weight loss thing I'm trying. And I'm not, I'm not fully over it. Like I'm much better than I ever was, but. It is something that I am unlearning 
every single day from years of learning and talking. I'm still talking to my husband about just need to lose a few more. I just need to do this. I just need to do that. Then I'll feel better. Once I look like this, I'll feel like that. Once I am this size, once I am this size, I'll love myself. Once I'm 50, I used to say 58 kilos in a meditator. <laughs> and I am a meditator now. I meditate every day, pretty much every now and again, I'll have a fall off day. But now it's been consistent for a long time. I'm doing it. Well, it's been consistent since I interviewed Maya Bedson. Hi, Maya. <laughs> I have to have her back on the show soon to get me back into, she puts me in this flowy, dreamy land. And I just want to live there in that flowy, dreamy place where I'm not Corinne Nidja turned up full volume all the time. Yeah, it would be nice. But if I'm floating around all the time, I doubt that I'd get as much done. For me personally, maybe I'd get things done better. And that's something to aspire to as well. Even just, just then I took a breath and it did slow me down. So how about we all just take a breath? It has been rush, rush, rush here. We are prepping to go away on holiday, so we haven't left yet. But when you listen to this, I will be on a beach somewhere, enjoying Noosa, enjoying myself, watching my kids play in the ocean, and I cannot wait. But what I was talking about, I lost my train of thought for a moment, was that as a woman, I have been trying to hate myself thin for nearly 40 years. And I have been talking to everyone and every woman that you know talking about, oh, my tummy, oh, I would wear bathers, but no, yuck. I would wear a bikini, but yuck now. I've had a baby and my stomach's disgusting. And everyone's husbands and partners and friends and parents are all listening to this story over and over and over again. The men are saying, oh, my gosh, they don't like their body. But the women are saying it endlessly. You know, we would be sexier, better. We would wear different clothes. We would feel better. We would Our lives would be better. We'd be happier. We'd finally be able to play with our kids comfortably. We'd be able to go to the park with them. We'd be able to go to the beach with them. We'd be able to do all these things if we were X amount lighter, smaller, thinner. And when we focus on, when we diet from that place, when we change our diet from that place of lack of low self-worth, of self-deprecation, of endless hateful monkey chatter in our brains that every day tells us why we suck, why we aren't worthy, why no one should love us, no one should see us naked ever, why we're repulsive and a failure and we have no willpower and we're just in this shame spiral of how we let ourselves get to this point. I have been there and I'm still so regularly there. But I have to, as I mentioned last week, I have to keep making a conscious choice to walk that new path. And that's the work that I do in my coaching programs is that work. I'm not going to bang on about it here because I banged on about that last week. But you know where my website is. You can go look if you do want to learn more about working with me because it's about that new path and loving ourselves well, slowly but sustainably and permanently. And for myself, I have been on this journey. I got severely sick with MS in 2004 at that time very much deep in my, I wasn't even in, I wasn't even thinking about dieting at that point. I just, I just was eating everything. I was just eating, I was smoking, I was drinking cans of V, I was just surviving. I was working shift work, caring for people with disabilities. I was over a hundred kilos. Food was my medicine. I ate to stay up late for shift work. I ate because I started shift my shift at, you know, 5.30 or 6 in the morning. So I would get chocolate to eat on the way to work. I would eat it in the staff room. I would eat lollies all day to keep myself awake. And I'd have cigarettes as another way of keeping myself awake with the nicotine rush. Then I'd have cans of V as my chosen energy drinks. I didn't drink coffee. 
and I just watched the weight pile on. And then when I got MS and I became aware of a whole food plant-based diet, it was still a long road. You know, I had lots of misguided, ill-informed experts telling me how I should not worry about changing the way I eat and how it's not going to do anything for my health or multiple sclerosis. So I, that information suited my desire to keep eating the junk food that I was eating, keep eating the cakes, the sweets, the chocolate. And so I did over and over again until I couldn't feel my legs in 2008. And then I made the decision and that decision didn't change my well-worn path of food addiction and using food as a comfort, using food as a friend, using food as a my entire source of joy. You know, I had no hobbies at that time. I wasn't running. I wasn't exercising. I didn't know I could get so much joy from a good workout. I didn't know I could get so much joy from a run through the forest. At the time, I didn't know that I could get joy from making a delicious batch of oat, almond butter and flaxseed cinnamon maple syrup cookies and bringing them to the local vegan playgroup. I didn't know that. I had no idea that I would find so much joy in making incredible whole food plant-based feasts for my family, that I would get joy from eating just a tray of oven-baked chips, (laughs) that I would find joy in making an incredible having my husband make an incredible lentil dal with tons of beautiful mushrooms and bunches of fresh kale and that it would look like green spew, but it would be so tasty and nourishing that we would all love it, myself and my children, that my kids, I would get so much joy seeing my kids with their healthy, thriving bodies, knowing that they aren't addicted to food like I was, that they are healthy, that Iggy is the tallest kid in his class, that he is so fast, so fit, so healthy, and that his body is thriving, fueled only by whole plant plant foods that are kind to animals and kind to the planet. I didn't know that back then. I just thought I was going to miss out. I was going to miss out on smoking and drinking tea with my friends around the outside table, chatting into the night time with our cigarettes and our my energy drinks and the chocolate and cake and all those things. That was my idea of what joy could be at that time. It was a small, 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 narrow view of what joy could be. And in the early days, and even now, I would start this, I would beg people to tell me what foods taste like, tasted like that I was missing out on. I would regularly self-sabotage to get that dopamine hit. You know, I would eat higher. Well, initially I was quite strict. And when you have that crisis and I couldn't feel my legs, it's easy to be quite strict for a while, but sometimes it can be hard when it's the long haul and you felt good for a while. And so then it can feel easy to listen to that monkey voice, that the bad version of you that sits on your shoulder and the good guy sits on the other shoulder. And the bad guy's like, you may as well eat all the stuff. You feel fine. You feel so good. Eat the thing. Like you've lost some weight. Eat this thing. You know, you've had a bad day. Eat this thing. And so, you know, occasionally when down the track when I'd been feeling better for a while, I would eat that thing or make that poor choice again because I listened to that 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 guy on your shoulder who's like, I want you to go back to walking that path that made you feel sick and miserable forever. I really want you to keep walking that path because I feel comfortable in that path. All your friends know you walking that path. They won't like you walking the other path. Keep walking that path because then you'll be more likable and more normal and you'll fit in and you won't feel so lonely. Keep walking that path. Eat the cake. Keep walking that path. Smoke the cigarettes. Keep walking that path. Drink the can of V. We want to stay in our box, the box that we've designed for ourselves. And the old, the longer we've been in that box, the more we identify with that box we put ourselves in. I'm the fat, unfit friend. That's what my story was. I'm the fat, unfit friend. People won't like me if I'm the fit, healthy, vegan friend. They won't like me. I won't be likable. So I'm going to keep sabotaging myself and walking that old path and making those poor choices because I want to be likable because I don't like myself and I need other people's validation 
to keep me going, to keep me feeling good, to keep filling up my cup because my cup is empty. And so I kept doing that and many, many, many people keep doing that. We keep thinking, oh, we'll try it for three months and we lose some weight but then we don't know this new version of ourselves and we don't think people will like it. And even though it's not conscious most of the time, that's the underlying thing. Or we have this, I deserve a treat now. That was really, really hard. I deserve a treat now. I've done it for three months, 12 weeks. I feel better. I've lost 10 kilos. I look great. And then we go back to making those choices that got us to where we were at the start. And then some, because we hate ourselves even more once we start gaining that weight back. Then we're like, oh my gosh, just like I thought, you are hopeless. You don't have willpower. You are a failure. And did I mention you're also fat and gross and no one loves you and no one's going to like you. And from that place, it's so hard to get back into walking that good track because you've just squashed yourself into the ground with all of the worst possible thoughts that make you feel so, so, so completely defeated. So today I just wanted to mention a few things that I found really, really, really helpful in building up that self-love and building on from the education and community tips that I mentioned last week, those two things are a huge piece of this puzzle. And once you realise that you're in a pleasure trap, like Dr. Doug Lyle and Dr. Alan Goldhammer discuss in their book, The Pleasure Trap, if you go back to the last episode, episode 102, I talk a bit more about that in that episode. As I, as I said again, I'm paraphrasing in the episode, I'm not... Doug, nor am I, Alan Goldhammer. So this is just my experience. I'm just talking about my own journey. So I'm, I'm not. Read the book. Read the book. Read the book yourself. It has all the answers. So things that have worked for me in that is recognizing that I'm not to blame, that I'm so worthy of love, that this is an unpacking and unpeeling of all the old stories that we've told ourselves about why we don't deserve to be happy, why it's hopeless, why we're fat and no one likes us, why we deserve to be unhealthy, why we don't have any worth in society, why our families didn't love us, why our partners didn't love us, why that guy from or girl from high school didn't want to be with us. We have to strip all of that back, all the story, why we're hopeless, why we're never going to achieve the weight we desire, why we can't stick to anything, why we're just a quitter. There's just so many of those stories. And if you're someone going, I've never had those stories, well, good for you. <laughs> I have and many people who are listening will have had those stories in our heads. And we start the day telling ourselves those stories. Oh, my God, look at the scales. Oh, gosh, I'm so hopeless. I may as well eat this bad thing. And it just continues all day. Oh, God, I ate that bad thing. Oh, I may as well eat this bad thing because I'm so hopeless. And we just keep doing those things and walking that old track that kept us sick, unhealthy and overweight our whole lives up until now and will continue to keep us sick if we don't start stripping back that story that's been keeping us stuck for so long and walking that unhelpful, unhealthy path. So for me, education and community community, I find that word so hard to say, community are really, really, really helpful. So listening to podcasts like this, listening to the ones that I listed in the show notes last week, which I'll endeavour to add to this one as well. Making friends, talk online, talking to people, joining groups. There's lots and lots of groups to choose from, which I mentioned last week as well. Whole Food Plant-Based Aussies, there's my group, um, Plant-Based and Thriving. There is the Forks Over Knives official Facebook group. There's the McDougal friends. There's so many. They're all really, really great and helpful. I highly recommend them all. And there's so many doctors to read and listen to. So the education has been the, the key to my own success. And I'm still on a journey, even though journey, the, the term 
journey has been used so much that it's like a, it's definitely a cliche now, but cliche for a reason because it is unfortunately a journey. But surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are also on this plant-based journey with you really, really, really helps. You can lift each other up, you can support each other. And I think it's so much easier to forgive yourself when you're noticing yourself hearing your friend's story how they have slipped up, how they've fallen off the wagon, how they've done something that they regret and how if you can empathise with them and you can offer them encouragement and support, slowly you start to go, okay, well, if I think that they deserve forgiveness and love and encouragement and support, maybe, just maybe, I deserve to forgive myself and offer myself love, encouragement and support. So it has a ripple effect the more friends you make in this way of eating, the more people you listen to, the more reading that you do, the more it kind of builds a suit of armour around yourself that protects you from yourself when you have that monkey mind. It's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't forget for a moment that you're actually a terrible person who doesn't deserve happiness and needs to eat all the cake because that's all that you're good for. Community will help you through those things. And the other thing that's really helped me is gratitude. So every day with our family, we sit around the table at dinner time and we all go around and we list three things that we were grateful for that day. And I do it twice a day. I do it morning and night because it's just different things I think of. And sometimes it might be that you're grateful for your hands, like your hands that hold and embrace your loved ones, your hands that hold your fork that delivers beautiful whole plant foods to your mouth, your hands that wipe tears from your children's eyes, your hands that dress you and nourish you and do the work that helps you support your family when you start looking at things like that to say, wow, and some people, they don't have hands. So how lucky are we? And these hands aren't filled with arthritis. They're functioning. They're healthy. They're strong. How lucky are we? How grateful am I to have these hands? How grateful am I to have this kale, this kale from the farmer's market? How grateful am I that the farmer planted those seeds and grew that kale? and delivered that kale to the farmer's market and sold it to me. You know, how lucky am I that the sun is streaming through my bedroom window this morning, even though it's the middle of winter and it's super, super cold outside. Oh, imagine feeling that sun on my face. And I'm free right now. There's some people that are in detention centres and in awful places that don't get to feel that sun, that don't get to experience that moment of joy when that sun pouring on their face or they're in prison or they're in a hospital bed and they don't get to feel that sun on their face right now. How lucky am I? Experiencing gratitude and focusing on it helps to rewire our brains to not focus so much on the deficits, on what we're missing, how we wish we'd be better if we were thin, we'd be better if we were this, we'd be better if we were that, we'd be happier if we had X. When we pause and think about what we have right now, the blessings we have right now that, you know, my brother couldn't swallow. How grateful, how lucky are we? How grateful are we that our throats, the muscles in my neck can swallow food so I don't choke and die? My brother couldn't eat food with his mouth by the end. He had to have a valve on his stomach so that we could pour liquid in directly into his stomach. How lucky am I that I have a mouth where I can taste food Food, a tongue that can taste food. That is incredible. And when we reframe it like that, we start to appreciate food in a whole new way. You know, wow, the flavors. And that goes on to mindfulness. When we actually sit with food and we experience it and we say, wow, the flavors taste this, Iggy. What do you think of that flavor? <gasps> Did you feel this texture, how these nuts that I toasted, these seeds that I toasted are crunchy, but then the vegetables are soft and the pumpkin's roasted and sweet and the skin is chewy, but it's great. Oh, can you taste that caramelization in the sweet potato? And I know that many of you who love sweet potato like I do know that when you roast it, it just tastes so sweet and delicious. 
how lucky are we smelling it? You know, smell, sitting at the table and rather than just rushing, 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 eating it while we watch something on TV, sitting together and talking about why we're grateful and then talking about the food. What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like in, their, in your fingers? Um, some cultures, they eat with their fingers, still many cultures, traditional cultures, and they say that when you eat with your fingers, you really connect with your food better on a deeper level. You don't overeat. You eat slowly. You really taste it. You really appreciate it. And you're much more present with your food when you're eating with your fingers. It's a tactile. It's such a it's engaging so much more of us when we're eating with our fingers rather than mindlessly off a fork. Obviously, it's not Sometimes I don't like getting messy fingers, so I like a fork. But, I mean, when was, when was the last time you touched some rice and just put it into your mouth, just some rice and a potato? It's wonderful when we start to notice and we start to say, wow, this, this, is, this, this soup has so many different flavours. This food, I can taste cumin, I can taste paprika, I can taste the turmeric, I can taste garlic and parsley and oregano and I can taste aniseed. Oh, what is that flavour? Is that a seed? Is that a nut? What is that texture in my mouth? The more you do that, the slower that you're eating, which is great for your digestion. It's great for your stomach receptors to be able to tell you, okay, that's enough and you're not going to overeat too fast. And it's great to teach your kids about respecting the food on their plate, appreciating it, knowing that it's fuel, what it's doing, thinking about the nutrients, talking about it with your children and your family. Like in this food, there is iron, there is vitamin C, there is protein, carbohydrates. There are things to build your muscles. There are things that your good bacteria love in here. You know, uh, this has got omega-3s, which is so good for your brain, uh, when you start talking like that as well about the food, think of all these things that these foods are doing for you. That dialogue really, really helps my children because now they will say, oh, gosh, you know, if they have a piece of junk food, they know the difference and they want to eat the foods with more nutrients and they'll talk about what we want. We want. They'll say, I want lots and lots of greens tonight, mum. Or they'll make a tower of sweet potato with hummus and sauerkraut and a cucumber slice and an olive on top and they'll make a with spinach in it and they'll make a huge <laughs> like a open sandwich with a sliced grilled piece of sweet potato thinly sliced and think it's spectacular because it's got so many different textures flavors nutrients that they're educated and aware about so when you're eating mindfully at your table you're it has such a huge ripple effect in so many different areas of your of your lives that we take for granted because we're so busy, like I was growing up, just shoving it in my mouth, watching Neighbours. That's a TV show from Australia, if you're not aware and you're listening to this from the States. You know, we're not, without talking, without talking about what we're grateful for, what, without talking about anything that's going on in our lives, just watching and staring and shoveling food into our mouths until we most likely are overfull. The other thing that I wanted to say is meditation. Meditation, it is a thing because it's a thing. Now that's oversimplifying it. But for me, meditating, taking 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes, you know, oh, the longer, the better. But I was so averse to it. And I've had many, many, many times where it made me want to peel my own face off, where I've just wanted to run from myself. I don't want to be alone with myself. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear my thoughts. But when you meditate, you start to notice, you start to notice your thoughts. Slowly you start to notice, oh my gosh, in that meditation, I thought, if thoughts are like clouds passing through your mind, I thought 100 awful thoughts just then. And then you start to think, wow, I must think thousands of negative thoughts all day. And if I'm thinking thousands of negative thoughts all day, I'm powerless when there's cake in front of me. Of course I'm powerless because all that's coming to me is negative thought after negative thought. Of course you're going to grab the cake if everything in your head is awful. There's a hell inside your mind, of course. But as you go along noticing 
in meditation using apps like Insight Timer or Headspace or the Calm app or free meditations on YouTube or Insight Timer is free as well. You can pick ones that are one minute, you know, but slowly as you notice your thoughts, you start to catch them like catching a, not that I want to catch a butterfly in a net, but it's like, like catching a drop of rain in your palm of your hand. You start noticing it and start going, it's just a thought. It's not me. It's not who I am. I can change that thought for a thought about flowers right now if I want. I can change it to a thought about all the things I'm lucky for, I'm, I'm, you know, that, that I'm lucky to have in my life right now. I can change it for a thought about Noosa right now, or the Hara Beach location. I can change it for a thought about everyone that I love and their faces. I can change it for a thought about dinner that I'm going to make tonight that's going to be so wonderful for me. And slowly, your thinking does change. The more you notice the more you catch those thoughts and they become less of a story of who you are and more of just a humorous thing that you can kind of giggle at. Like, oh, there's those thoughts again. There they are. They're always coming. We're always, we can't stop ourselves from thinking, but the more you notice the types of thoughts that you're thinking and try and see what you can do as far as filling up your, your thoughts with good thoughts or catching those thoughts and going, you know what, I'm going to put you in the as my old counsellor once told me, put them in the dumpster in the sky and let God deal with them, or whoever your God is, put them in the bin in the sky and let the universe, God, whoever, deal with them. You know, I tell my kids, you know, blow them up in a bomb. You know, imagine that they're a bomb, a hand grenade, and you're throwing them up into the air. If, if that works for my kids because they like, you know, things like that, got a bad thought, just explode it and think something new. So meditation is so, so helpful if you can just take five, ten minutes every day, late at night, more in the morning's best, but whenever, if you can just take your, give yourself five minutes, it'll help so much. Now, there are also things that help, such as Natalie Woodman's gut rebalancing protocols, working with people like Robin Shooter who've been on the podcast before, if your gut has been unwell for a really long time, you might struggle with cravings because the bad bacteria are ruling, running the show, and they want you to keep eating those things. And they're going to send you desperately craving those things that keep those guys alive. And they want to live. So people like Robin in Australia and Natalie Woodman, now they've been on episodes 14, 25, 90, and 101, and their links are in the show notes to their websites. You know, there's many in the States as well that are fantastic doctors to, to speak to about your gut health and healing your gut microbiome. But if you're having issues such as absorbing nutrients and minerals, bloating, IBS, you know, your gut lining's probably damaged, like mine is, like most of us is, if we've had antibiotics, if we've had a cesarean section birth, like if we've been one, uh, if we haven't been breastfed, if we have eaten meat, eggs, dairy and processed foods for most of our lives, it's likely that our bad bacteria are ruling the show. So working with someone like that to get that sorted out once and for all and then working on well, re Rebuilding your garden inside, rebuilding your good guys, making your microbiome this diverse, beautiful home that's ready to absorb the beautiful food that you're going to put in. Because at the start, you might get some more bloating from increased fibre, all those things. So a gut rebalancing protocol like Natalie's or the work that Robin Shooter does with food and she does EFT as well to help with your just help with your mindset and sticking and sticking to eating to this way of eating. And EFT has helped me too along the way. That's the tapping technique, which can help you kind of feel a feeling and make that feeling go from being a really intense feeling down to being a neutral feeling. I'm not an expert in that. Talk to Robin about that. She is the EFT expert. Things if you can afford things like hypnotherapy, I've found that very, very helpful because it's basically like putting yourself into a meditation state and helping you kind of take that story away, the story about you being a failure, the story about you being 
unable to lose weight, those kinds of stories, you can kind of unpack them more if you have a really good hypnotherapist or a psych a counsellor that practices hypnotherapy as well that you could work with. I found that in my journey really, really, really helpful to unpack some of the traumas from my childhood, which I was carrying around forever. And every time I would think of them, they would cause a stress response in my body. And that stress response would make me default back to my old patterns of overeating or emotional eating. So I did find that very, very helpful in my own journey. I also got into Reiki, which many of you might think is woo-woo, but they're doing it more and more in hospitals for people who are having at having like end-of-life care, palliative care. A lot more people are getting into Reiki, which is an energy healing. I think of it more as I'm, I'm not very good at talking in spiritual woo-woo terminology. But for me, it's just about a way of laying on a table really still while somebody else just directs love into you and you focus lovingly on yourself. So for me, the Reiki that I do with people and the Reiki that I've had is hands-on Reiki, which I love because most of us can go days without anyone touching us. Most of us can go days without... Even our most loving people actually seeing us and holding us and holding us in their hands without it being a sexual hold or a, a hold where your child's grabbing you to get them to do, get you to do something or a hold where you're being pulled to be something for someone. This is just laying on a table while someone's just like, I see you. I see you just as you are. And you are so beautiful and worthy of love. And most people spend their whole lives looking for someone to just hold them and hold their head, cradle their head in their hands and send love to them without needing to be validated, without needing it to be returned to them, without needing anything from them except what's happening right then, which is just that they're just breathing and holding them, being with them and loving them. So Reiki has really helped me as a mother, as a woman, as someone who's hated myself my whole life, feeling that love. Honestly, it was the greatest gift anyone's ever given me. Like my children, obviously, and my husband and my parents and family and friends. But <laughs> equal, it was so, it's been such a blessing in my life. Thank you, Sarah Brooke from The Space In Between for being my Reiki master and for teaching me and her work has changed my life and I hope to incorporate it in my own work going forward because I really love it and I do think it can help so many people just by feeling loved. It's such a magical, magical medicine for people. So thank you, Sarah. And I think for me, Reiki also helped to, and turning and veganism and many things along this way, my own healing journey has made me really connect to the animals and the planet and to something greater than myself. Now, I'm not formally, like I'm not religious, but I do believe in something greater than myself. And many of the guests on, our show, on this show have come to become more spiritually aware or more connected to their version of God in quotation marks whatever it is for you, I have found that that also helps me in my food addiction journey. And I know that people who join Overeaters Anonymous, which is basically the spin-off of Alcoholics Anonymous, those groups all advise that connect connecting to a higher power can help you walk that path, that new path, and feel supported walking that path by your higher power as you go forward now, whatever that means to you, maybe you don't have one, but I know that there's plenty, there's actually atheists who still go along with AA or OA in this instance because we need, sometimes you, you need tools and community to help you move forward. So there is something called Overeaters Anonymous. Now, I haven't been to a meeting and I don't know anything about it, but it's a resource and... I feel like I should mention it here while we're talking about food addiction because that's 
what Overeaters Anonymous does, and there's groups all around the world, I think. So have a Google and look up your area and see if there's one for you because it might be a good space to connect with other people who feel out of control around food. Okay, so lastly, I would say obviously a whole food plant-based diet, low fat, is great if you're an overeater and you're a food, a food addict because if you just eat those foods, you'll pretty much, if you can eat most of your plate, salad, vegetables, non-starchy vegetables, and then a quarter of it starchy vegetables like potatoes and rice and then the other quarter beans and a little bit of avocado or hummus on the top, you'll be sweet. You'll be totally fine. It's the best diet if you are someone who needs large quantities It's because it's so low in calories, so easily assimilated by our bodies. It's got so much fibre. It's mostly it's water and fibre and it's so, so good for us. That's been such a great thing for me. Now, I've kept off 30 kilos for a while. I still have a little bit more to lose, but 30 kilos has been so manageable for me when it used to not be manageable at all. It used to be something that... I was just watching it grow and grow and grow before I changed my, the way I ate. So I highly recommend if you're not yet eating a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet and you identify with what I'm saying about being a food addict, this is the diet for you. It's a lifestyle for you because while you're trying to walk that new path, a whole-food, plant-based diet is going to support you, nurture you, switch off many of that those cravings, help heal your gut microbiome and give you more energy, you will feel better. And when you feel better, you're less likely to make choices that aren't healthful for your body. It's a radical act of self-love, which is what is needed when there is no self-love and you don't feel worthwhile. Choosing to eat foods that nurture you is a radical act of self-love and Many of the things I've suggested feel like that too because most people that we know aren't doing those things. And I find that things such as journaling as well also help keep you on that path like meditation, free writing three pages a day or five minutes a day, whatever you can do helps you just blurt out all those thoughts, blurt out all that stuff onto paper, all those negative thoughts. And slowly as you do that, you start to strategize and create ways out, find solutions, problem solve. So I highly recommend a food journal and then writing in that journal like why you ate that, what happened, what you were feeling, what you could do differently, how you could navigate that social situation differently, how you could get through that stressful situation differently. Slowly you start to discover things about your habits and where you get stuck and unpack them yourself and figure stuff out. So I highly recommend whole food plant-based diet, but food journaling as you go along, if you're not yet eating a whole food plant-based diet, but free writing, free journaling every day, regardless of where you're at, because you will find problems to things you didn't know you had a problem with, like your relationship, your kids, your parenting, your mum and dad, you know, you'll find solutions to your career problems, to everything. And you'll be like, oh, wow. Because you'll start every week, you'll be writing the same thing, like, God, I can't stop eating peanut butter. And like the 20th time, you're like, oh my God, keep writing that. And I'm sick of writing it. What can I do differently? And the same with other things, my relationship. You know, I'm, I haven't wanted to be intimate with my partner for a month now. And I've written it every single day for 30 days. What can we do differently? Should we go to a marriage counsellor? Do we need to go on a date night? Do we need to watch a movie in bed? Do we need to go for a bushwalk together? Do we? Ne- what do you need to fix this thing? And slowly you start to say, okay, I've written this thing that's awful. So many times it's time to find a solution. And it might not be the first thing that you write down as a solution, but you're much more likely to find a solution when you're noticing and journaling than you are if you're just mindlessly going along with life without ever looking and self-reflecting. So self-reflection in your journal is super, super, super handy if you're a food addict and you've got problems with self-love or lack of self-love. Okay, now I have to go because I'm talking way too long. But lastly, I would say if you can find a health coach, now there are thousands out there, everyone's a health coach these days, you'll know. It's a buzzword and it seems like it means nothing. But it does mean something. It is like 
a paid friend. <laughs> it's a friend who sits with you, talks with you once a fortnight or once a week, however it works for you, whatever works around your life and your finances and your budget. There is one for everyone. Andrew Taylor is doing some great coaching at the moment. There are, oh my gosh, this work, just go back through the show notes of every single guest because most guests are doing some kind of, I know Josh Lajorny does some, Howard Jacobson, Adam Guthrie, Amanda Fisher. You'll have to go back, but I'll write as many as I can. Health coaches are like anything. Like people get book writing coaches when they want to when they want to write a book. They get tennis coaches when they want to learn how to play tennis. They get business coaches when they want to build a business. They get you know people to teach you how to play the guitar. They're just people who know how to do what you're trying to do, and they're coaches. They help. They're like encouragers. I think of myself as someone who just has a lot of experience in the area. I'm super passionate. I love talking to people about their health and giving them resources. And as a social worker and a teacher in my previous lives, I am driven to find solutions to problems. I love working with people to say, how can we fix this, tweak this, move this around to make this work for you? A coach is someone who roots for you, you know, someone who's on the sidelines going, you know what, you made a mistake, but you're doing great. I so believe in you. I know you can do it. This isn't easy, but you can do it. We just have to work together. In each fortnight, you check in with your coach who every, oh gosh, I forgot to mention, Shamiz and Shakul from High Carb Health. There is a coach for everyone out there. And the reason why health coaches are so good is because doctors have so little time to sit with you. And even nutritionists and naturopaths have so little time to sit with you so regularly. So a health coach is like a complimentary service for a doctor or a nutritionist or a naturopath because they listen to what you've received from your doctor and your naturopath and they make a plan with you on your goals and they work with you. So they, you sit with them, you talk with them, and we work together to help you change your diet, maybe change your relationship, change your job, change whatever, because health is includes so many different areas of our lives. You know, your mindset, your sex life, your relationship life, it's just saying, where's the problem that makes you want to eat all the cake? What can we do? And how can we make you eat less cake? Like what what can we do to make things a bit better? And so with my clients, I talk about like all the areas. If we break your life into a, a pie wheel, pie chart, where are the areas that aren't working? And what can we do to make those areas work? So that's what happens when you work with me. We look at those areas and we go, what can we do to make them work? And then we spend the time we have together, whether it's three months, six months, at the moment, I've got a six-month program, but I'm going to move it to a 30 to 90-day program, I think. But anyway, that's neither, that's not, neither here nor there. Everyone has a different program as far as health coaches go. Go out there, do some research, look around, because there'll be someone that's like, that's the person for me, for you. And you just work with them to say, hey, where can we? how can we fix these bits and how can I help support you to fix those bits of your pie chart? Because once those bits are now, everyone's pie chart looks like a. If we're, if we're rating every area out of ten of goodness, most people's aren't all tens. Most people, some people's are like zero, ten, six, four, two, and around you go, and it ends up looking like if you linked all of the areas with a line, it would look like a gnarly star. And I've never seen anyone have a perfect, perfect circle at the end. You wouldn't be able to ride these pie charts on a bike if they were a bike wheel because they're always a mess. So it's just about making making some improvements to expand that out until it looks more like a perfect circle and less like a star. And we do that by talking about food as the undercurrent, but then the main things are like how can we add in more joy? How can we add in... How can we improve these areas? Because once those areas improve, the food naturally comes along with it. If the rest of your life's awful, of course food's going to be awful because <laughs> how are you going to make a good choice if everything in your life is in the bin? Anything good is cake. Of course you're going to choose cake. So making those things a bit better naturally makes your food better, more manageable, the cravings less. So it's a complementary tool 
for a doctor and a naturopath and a nutritionist, they are all excellent things to have as well in your toolbox for optimal health. So if you think you need a, a health coach is like having a best friend with you while you're trying to change your health, a best friend who's always rooting for you, but who will give you the cold hard, hey, we need to do this. You can't just keep doing that. We don't just we're not yes men for you. <laughs> we we tell you the cold hard truth, but in a loving way and in a forgiving way because we most of us who've on this podcast who've become health coaches. Oh, forgot to say, Chris Goats. She's another incredible health coach. She was on the show too. Hi, Chris. So we've all been there. We've all been in the absolute quagmire of shit and despair. So we we are super forgiving because there's, there's pretty much nothing that you can do that we haven't done as far as fallen off the wagon, eaten the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, all of the negative self-talk. We've been there. We've been there a thousand times ourselves and we are now here to help you, like lift you out of the wherever you are um, so that you can feel much, much better and more amazing and in control of your health. For the long term, not a quick fix, for the long term, this is long-term sustainable nurturing support that a health coach provides. Yeah, that's a big, long explanation, but that's what it is. So if you need a health coach, I've put all the links to health coaches that were on the show in the podcast show notes for today's episode. They are most of my tips, and there's so much more you could talk about on this topic, but Ranjit will kill me because we have to go on holidays and doesn't want to edit hours and hours of podcasts. So I hope that episode was helpful to you. If it was, give it a like or a comment or a share it with your family and friends. Um, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a kind review. All of your support helps this podcast get to more people and that's the whole purpose of this podcast is for more people to know about a whole food plant-based diet and all of the incredible things that adopting this way of eating can do for people's health. Even if all it did was help people go to the toilet better, it'd be worth it. So I look forward to speaking to you all when I get back from holidays. Otherwise, I will see you all soon. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road.